This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I know there was some confusion um, relating to people's ability to socialize. And that's not the only confusion. Why reaction to the new public health orders is confused. Plus, how federal pandemic aid for the airline industry is contingent on airlines helping travelers and... Holy gump of Gemini cricket. I have some news to share with all of you. Saying goodbye to Alex Trebek and Howie Meeker, the legacies of two Canadian icons. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Many of us are still trying to understand some of the new pandemic restrictions for Metro Vancouver ordered Saturday by Dr. Bonnie Henry. They came into effect last night and are in place for the next two weeks for the Vancouver Coastal and Fraser Health regions. Grace Key has more on the reaction, especially ahead of a major observance next week on the South Asian calendar. The Diwali Fest has gone virtual due to the pandemic. Traditionally, it's a time to visit family and friends. But the November 14th celebration of light falls within the new provincial health order. Organizers are encouraging the community to celebrate differently this year. Join the virtual celebrations, have a watch party with their friends and, you know, order in some good food. And um, a lot of Indian shops are doing Diwali sweet gift hampers and boxes, there's takeouts and delivery. So, you know, take advantage of that and have fun with it. For two weeks, you won't be able to invite friends or family to your household. The restriction affects Vancouver Coastal and Fraser Health regions, where COVID numbers have spiked. Communities typically rely on complaints when it comes to enforcement. In our community, we have activated our bylaw officers again um, throughout the pandemic. They have been eyes and ears uh, throughout the community and trying to uh, deal with issues that have arisen. Uh, and so their job has primarily been around uh, education. A new poll by Insights West shows BC residents support calls for tighter restrictions if COVID numbers start spiking. 80% of those surveyed are in favor of area-specific lockdowns. 79% support gyms temporarily closing. Nearly two-thirds back a return to online education. Six and ten would go back to phase one. Support is weaker, but still a majority approve of temporarily shutting down restaurants and imposing curfews. Almost eight months later, where we've got people are still just as worried about COVID-19 and getting it, we compare that to a result back in March, and it's still 84% of us are, are worried about COVID-19. Um, and that has translated into tremendous support for our leaders and, and uh, the decisions that they're making on our behalf to keep us safe. The provincial health order ends on November 23rd at 12 p.m. Grace Key, Global News. The latest orders are causing a lot of confusion from sports organizations to individuals. Many are having a difficult time understanding whether or not their plans to hold practices or even meet with loved ones are allowed right now. Kristen Robinson has that part of the story. 
It's hockey and indoor soccer already under strict COVID protocols. Scotiabarn eight rinks in Burnaby closed Sunday as it awaits clarification from health officials on the new rules of play. At the Richmond Oval, kids geared up for a socially distanced practice say they can't imagine losing hockey. I'll be really sad. Like, I have nothing to do. Hockey is like my life. Via Sport, which oversees amateur sport in BC, says under the new restrictions, indoor group sports, including minor hockey games and competition, are suspended for two weeks. But individual exercises and drills can continue in the Vancouver Coastal and Fraser Health regions. Kids really need sports for their mental and physical health, so I feel safe and I don't think it needs to be shut down. But I also understand if it has to be. The Metro Vancouver City is also pausing indoor group fitness activities, including spin yoga and dance classes. We're still able to attend a gym um, or visit a library um, or use other civic services like that. So I know there was some confusion um, relating to people's ability to socialize. The province says the new order means no social gatherings of any size with anyone other than your immediate household, including outdoors or in restaurants. In restaurants, it's six or fewer people in bubbles that you trust. Our reading of this is nothing has changed. What we believe the health uh, officer, uh, Dr. Henry, is trying to achieve is stopping people from having private parties in their home where you can't control social distancing. It's tough. Um, it has been almost a year, but uh, we want to try to get through this and, and not see our case count increase. Young Ermolai planning to stick handle a solution in his backyard if the sport he loves is sidelined. If they close it down, I'll just have nothing to do. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now. A lot of confusion, Keith, particularly between coastal health and uh, what they say about some of the rules versus what Dr. Henry and Adrian Dix have to say. Yes, the news release from Public Health uh, released yet after yesterday's briefing makes it very clear you only really uh, go w with people in your own household and not beyond that. W problem created a bit of confusion today. Vancouver Coastal tweeted out that social gather outdoor gatherings are perfectly fine as long as they're not wedding receptions and, and things that are specifically banned. So a bit of confusion on what can happen outdoors and who you can be with. And I think that hopefully that's going to be clarified tomorrow because Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix are having their regular Monday 3 o'clock briefing. I can tell you there's going to be a lot of questions to clarify what activities are allowed and what activities aren't and it's interesting that the, that the release from the pretty, uh, provincial health officer though is pretty uh, clear that you're not to be in any gathering whatsoever of any size with anyone other than your immediate household but again clarification will come tomorrow except she said directly during that press conference yesterday that it was okay for single people to mix with each other. So there are some contradictions that we need to clear up as well. Now, Keith, why was Coastal Health Vancouver included mm -hmm. in the order when Fraser has the explosion of cases? <coughs> Fraser does indeed have the explosion and it's going back for some time. The problem is many people live in one health authority and work in the other health authority. It goes back and forth. But take a look at the last 15 days of cases. This tells the story why Fraser Health and Coastal Health are signaled out for regional restrictions unlike the other health authorities. Simply, there is not much COVID once you get past those two big health authorities in Metro Vancouver. 71% of the cases in Fraser Health, 20% in Coastal and just 4% in the interior and even less in Northern and Vancouver Island. That's why those 
restrictions, extraordinary restrictions we never even contemplated before, are in fact for those two health authorities, which include, of course, uh, the rec strong recommendation from Dr. Henry, do not travel whatsoever beyond those two health authorities or into those two health authorities unless it's essential service travel only. Again, briefing by Dr. Bonnie Henry tomorrow. We'll see another big number, probably in excess of 500 cases tomorrow. And again, clarification on the new rules that so many people in this province have to live by for at least two weeks. I'll see you tomorrow afternoon on BC One. Yep. Thanks, Keith. Some news that might help travelers fighting to get refunds from airlines after their flights were canceled due to the pandemic. The federal government now says it will make any new support for the Canadian airline industry contingent on refunds for affected passengers. Transport Minister Mark Garneau announced that requirement today as Ottawa launches talks with the industry this week. The country's commercial airlines have been hit hard by the pandemic with passenger levels down as much as 90 percent. Garneau says the government will place strict conditions on any support, including requiring airline refunds that airlines refund what is believed to be millions of dollars in previously booked tickets. Many airlines have offered passengers credits instead of refunds for cancelled flights. A statement in part from the National Airline Council of Canada, which represents the country's largest carriers, says airlines are struggling to remain viable because of the economic chaos created by COVID-19. All measures have been taken to reduce costs and revenue has fallen beyond the means of even the most extreme cost-cutting measures to address. The industry will not recover without strong federal leadership. Many South Surrey residents are frustrated about large outdoor gatherings that are still happening at the border. I think everybody should be isolating coming back. This is ridiculous. And this video was taken by a global viewer. As you can see, there are dozens of tents in Peace Arch State Park, which is accessible from both sides of the border. Peace Arch Provincial Park has been closed since the early days of the pandemic. Area residents say RCMP officers were checking passports today as people returned to the Canadian side, but neighbors wonder why they're not being forced to quarantine. Earlier this year, the community stepped up to save it, but the museum in Vancouver's oldest building is now closing up for now. The old Hastings Mill Store Museum at the north end of Alma Street is closing until February in light of the latest provincial health orders. Donors helped the museum survive after its annual grant from the city of Vancouver was delayed due to the pandemic. Built around 1868, the mill building was one of a few in the city to escape the Great Fire of 1886. Six decades later, a group of women fundraised to save it from demolition. Assuming the new increased COVID-19 restrictions are lifted by December, plans are in the works to allow for public skating at Robson Square. The Citizen Services Ministry says it's working with the Robson Square contractor to develop a safety plan for the ice rink. Officials anticipate opening to the public in a modified capacity in early December. Elections BC has completed its final count of all the mail-in and absentee ballots in last month's provincial vote. But one riding is so close, it'll be going to a recount. The Liberal candidate only beat the Green candidate in West Vancouver Sea to Sky by 41 votes. Under the Elections Act, the threshold for a recount is 49 votes. The Greens had hoped to make this their first lower mainland seat.
That uh, flipped not in our favor yesterday, so it does trigger a judicial recount. So um, the Greens are with Jeremy Valeriat down 41 votes and West Van Cita Sky. So we're just going to be optimistic and see how that judicial recount goes. And, uh, you know, if, if anything, it does show a significant gain on the mainland. And however the results go, we'll build on that. Richmond South Centre is now officially going to the NDP's Henry Yao, Liberal candidate Alexa Liu, losing by fewer than 200 votes. She's been outspoken about her party's need to revamp following the outcome of this election. It's now official Liberal incumbent and former Vancouver Mayor Sam Sullivan has been unseated by the NDP's Brenda Bailey in Vancouver Falls Creek. A big win for the NDP in Vernon Monashie as Harwinder Sandu unseats Liberal incumbent Eric Foster, the party making inroads in this traditionally Liberal stronghold in the Okanagan. The final results solidify the NDP majority government with 57 seats, the Liberals for 28 and the Greens 2, the Liberals losing 13 seats to the NDP in this election. West Shore RCMP say a man has been arrested in connection with the death of a 55-year-old woman on Vancouver Island on Friday. At around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, police were called to a home near McLeod Place and Luxton Road in Langford to reports of an unresponsive woman. A 56-year-old man was arrested at the scene. Ken Weber has now been charged with second-degree murder. He's expected to appear in court November 19th. West Shore RCMP is calling this an isolated incident and says there is no ongoing public concern. One man has been charged after two separate standoffs at a Victoria temporary housing building. 48-year-old Thomas John McDonald was arrested at the former Howard Johnson Hotel on Gorge Road after a crime spree Friday morning. Police say he stole a vehicle and attacked its owner before crashing it into a hydro pole. McDonald then allegedly barricaded himself inside a suite for six hours before surrendering. He has since been charged with auto theft, assault and dangerous driving. Emergency response team members later arrested a second suspect who had barricaded himself in the same unit. A truck parked next to a Burnaby temple caught fire late last night. Burnaby firefighters were called to the temple on Gilly Avenue just after 9 o'clock last night to find a propane power truck engulfed in flames. The truck was normally used as a parade float. The fire department managed to uh, cut off the propane but put out and put out the fire before it spread to the temple, although scorch marks can be spotted on the side of the building. Six people living inside were not hurt. Burnaby RCMP are, of course, investigating. Vancouver Fire Rescue says at around noon today, a brand new Jeep caught fire as the driver approached the busy intersection of Broadway and Commercial. Fortunately, the driver was able to pull over and get out safely. Firefighters arrived and put it out. A fire caused temporary service delays on the Expo line this morning. Crews had to repair the tracks at the New Westminster station after a compression fitting caught fire. A shuttle service was put into place. Full service was restored by about noon. It was a scaled-back ceremony in London today to mark Remembrance Sunday across the UK. Members of the British royal family, led by the Queen, and government officials were in attendance for a socially distanced service at the Cemetaph at Whitehall. Normally the event is packed with thousands of people, but today fewer than 30 veterans were there.
And for the first time, we're seeing the Queen wear a face mask in public. Images released this weekend show Queen Elizabeth attending a brief ceremony at Westminster Abbey on Wednesday to mark the 100th anniversary of the burial of the unknown warrior. The 94-year-old monarch bowed her head in prayer as a wreath was laid before the grave of the unidentified British soldier who died during World War I. Unfortunately, COVID-19 meant no formal ceremonies were held today to mark Indigenous Veterans Day, which honors the overlooked contributions made by First Nations, Inuit and Métis veterans to Canada. The day was first recognized in Winnipeg in 1994 and is now commemorated across the country. On Wednesday, we will have special live coverage of the Remembrance Day service from the National War Memorial in Ottawa, beginning at 7.30, hosted by Global National's Robin Gill. And with the public advised not to gather at Cenotaphs this year, be sure to join Sophie Louie and Chris Galis from 10.30 to 11.30 for this year's modified ceremony at Vancouver's Victory Square. That's on Global, BC One and online. RCMP on northern Vancouver Island are joining the Indigenous community on a harm reduction approach to addiction care. And it may be one of the first of its kind in the country. As Kristen Robinson reports, it's a big step towards reconciliation given the region's history. It's not your normal liquor run. Kathy Wilson and Alexa B. Sion are making potentially life-changing deliveries in Port Hardy. When COVID hit, the Guasala Nakwadon nations shut down. Members battling alcoholism struggled to get to town. Until a local doctor came up with the idea of a daily dose to help them manage their addiction. We're giving them enough alcohol to prevent withdrawal from occurring, but it's not enough to get them severely intoxicated. The partnership that the Guazi Manager Alcohol Program and the local detachment have uh, is one of the first I'm aware of in Canada. In 1964, the Indigenous nations were amalgamated by the federal government. RCMP were involved in relocating the Guasala Nakwada peoples from their homes in Smith and Seymour Inlets to Port Hardy, also home to survivors of the residential school in Alert Bay. We have multi-generational traumas, and a lot of people utilize alcohol and through that addiction to try and avoid the trauma. So this drawer in particular is for a client that is drinking Budweiser's daily. Participants must pay for half of what they drink, see the nurse and outreach worker daily, and only drink what's provided. This would be for intoxicated persons. The doses also dropped off in RCMP cells to help prevent those arrested from suffering tremors or seizures. Not unlike a methadone program or something to that effect, we're giving someone that something that their body requires and it could be fatal if they don't get. One client is already seeing fewer ER visits for falls and injuries due to excessive drinking. There's been these, in just the past month, you know, really beautiful wins. Funded by the First Nations Health Authority, GMAP hopes to team up with BC Housing to build on the success of its RCMP partnership. Being proactive in our approach is one a step towards reconciliation and acknowledging what was wrong, what we did. Kristen Robinson, Global News.
Police in Toronto say a 12-year-old boy is fighting for his life after a brazen daytime shooting. The boy was walking with his mother when he was hit by a stray bullet yesterday afternoon. It happened when two men got out of a vehicle and opened fire at another vehicle in a parking lot. Three people inside that car were wounded, including a 17-year-old who was hospitalized in critical condition. And the two suspects fled the scene. To the U.S. presidential election now, Joe Biden ran his campaign on a message of unity, but the president-elect has a lot of work ahead of him to win over the more than 70 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump. Global's Mike Armstrong reports on a country in transition. The president-elect started his day attending church with his daughter and grandson, the morning after delivering the biggest speech of his life. Joe Biden's victory speech made it clear one of the first things he wants to do is turn down the heat. Let's give each other a chance. Biden is calling for an era of openness and respect. It's time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature, see each other again, listen to each other again. This was a night where Biden claimed victory with pride, but without boasting. Instead, repeating a campaign promise to govern for all Americans, including those who didn't vote for him. Let this grim era of demonization in America begin to end here and now. Thank you. Good evening. For the vice president-elect, a part of the focus was on what the election meant how it reinforced the United States as a country of possibilities, one where the daughter of an Indian immigrant can be elected vice president. But while I may be the first woman in this office, I will not be the last. Now, it may have taken days before the election was called for Biden and Harris, but the celebrating will be short. As of Monday, they're set to start tackling what will be the biggest challenge once they take over, the pandemic. According to reports, the first order of business comes Monday. The transition team is set to name a 12-member coronavirus task force. Well, just like in Canada, every U.S. election is watched closely around the world. A Joe Biden presidency could mark a significant shift in U.S. foreign policy. Tonight, Redmond Shannon takes a look at how the result is being received around the globe. After several days of uncertainty, Joe Biden emerges victorious as the 46th president-elect. Polls suggested a preference for the Biden-Harris ticket across much of the world, particularly in Europe. Where there's a feeling among some that Biden had one undeniable quality. He was an uninspiring candidate, but his biggest inspiration was he wasn't Donald Trump. Among the world leaders tweeting their congratulations to Joe Biden is British Prime Minister and friend and ally of Donald Trump, Boris Johnson. The outgoing president has been a keen supporter of Brexit and Johnson was pinning his hopes on Trump's promise of a post-Brexit free trade agreement. But Biden, an Irish-American, has insisted there will be no free trade deal if Brexit results in the return of a hard border in Ireland. Period. We've even said that we would never put any infrastructure at the border between uh, the North and the South. And, and of course, if the EU do the same, this issue is resolved. Another friend of Trump's is Israeli leader Benjamin Netanyahu. Partly because Trump moved the US embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, 
and withdrew the U.S. from the Iran nuclear deal. Netanyahu called Biden a friend of Israel Sunday, despite a promise from Biden that he will bring the U.S. back into the deal. In a tweet, Iran's foreign minister encouraged Biden and Harris to abandon the disastrous, lawless bullying of the outgoing regime. Washington's other greatest adversaries, Russia and China, have yet to formally acknowledge Biden's win. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. When Joe Biden becomes president in January, a member of his family will also make history. The Biden's dog, Major, will become the first rescue dog to live in the White House. The Bidens adopted the German Shepherd from the Delaware Humane Association two years ago this month. The Bidens have another German Shepherd. He's named Champ. A former classmate and current B.C. politician is joining the worldwide chorus of congratulations to U.S. Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. Harris lived in Montreal for five years as a teenager and graduated from Westmount High in 1981. For one year during that time, she also went to the same alternative fine arts school as Nicholas Simon, the NDP MLA for Powell River Sunshine Coast. He remembers they performed in musicals together and is very happy she made history. It was wonderful. It was wonderful to see and, you know, to think about the people who've influenced her uh, throughout her life include people from Canada. And I think uh, that does everyone some good. Um, I was so happy to see her and uh, President Biden win. And, um, you know, I, I, I was thinking, well, she got 50.6% of the vote and I ended up with 50.8. So uh, if she ever is looking for any tips, I can probably, you know, I'd be happy to have a chat with her. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. How fast do you have to be to be the Rubik's Cube champ? We're going to find out right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, Edmontonians are still digging out from under a major dump of snow this weekend. Got to get the snow off the sidewalk so it's safe for people to walk. And the first major snowfall of the season began Friday night and didn't stop until early this morning. About 20 centimeters of snow fell on the capital region. City crews have been out since early Saturday clearing major routes. So far, more than 260 crashes have been reported with nine injuries. So, Yvonne, we've seen snow in eastern Canada and central Canada, and I guess it's our turn on Monday. Yeah, we're starting to shift gears into winter. We're giving a bit of a heads up with the potential, and I'll have the timeline, what that means, especially as we get in towards tomorrow. First off, though, a beautiful day today. We had plenty of sunshine, the fall foliage out there. This was captured by Jordan, Van Dusen Botanical Gardens this afternoon. Fantastic, some gorgeous shots, and one taken by my mom. I wanted to feature her. This one, the thanks so much, Mama Shell, uh, for this one and this was taken in Vancouver. So thanks, Mom. All right, here we go. We are going to be tracking uh, some uh, active weather and that'll be for Monday and then a bit of a break on Tuesday. A shot of what it looks like out right now. We're sitting at two degrees. We've got a light northerly wind at four kilometers per hour. We've got an increase in cloud cover, especially this evening, overnight, and we've got cloud cover to start things off for our Monday. We've got the ingredients for snow now. This is the frontal system that's going to push in along the south coast and we've got cool Arctic air that's entrenching and pushing its way across the southern half of the province. 
Here's the following spots where we do have a special weather statement. It's along Metro Vancouver, along the Sunshine Coast and stretching in towards the Fraser Valley, Howe Sound and the eastern edge of the island. Now the timeline. Overnight we've got that rain intensifying along the north coast. Inland it'll be snow and then changing over to rain through the day. And then by the afternoon we've got the precipitation moving across the south coast and then towards the evening is when we could see some snow, especially above 200 metres and then pushing in towards the interior if you're heading along the mountain passes Snowfall will be for Monday night and continuing into Tuesday morning. So here is the timeline. I wanted to take a closer look of another model that's showing us that snow. This one's actually just showing rain across the board for the afternoon. But there's that line of where we could see wet snow for many areas across Metro Vancouver, and that'll stretch in towards the Fraser Valley. And once again for the afternoon and evening, and that'll be for the commute tomorrow. So a heads up, give yourself lots of time and be sure you're prepared with your vehicle as well. So above 200 meters, the following spots, we will see the potential for snow at sea level for areas near Howe Sound. It'll be cold enough. And the timeline as we get in towards Tuesday, the system pushes out. So it's quite quick moving. And on Tuesday, we're actually back into a partly cloudy sky along the mountain passes the concern will be for monday night two and up to four centimeters along the sea to sky higher amounts for the coquihalla from hope to merit four and up to eight centimeters and we will see that monday night and continuing to the morning hours on tuesday with a bit of a break for the afternoon Rain heavy at times overnight and for tomorrow morning along the north coast, but the instability picks up for the afternoon with even the risk of a thunderstorm. That transition from snow to rain inland tomorrow and the snowfall across the central interior will be anywhere between 5 and up to 10 centimeters. Snow is going to move in towards the southern interior, but it'll be towards the evening. Through the day, it's just an increase in cloud cover. Dry for most areas and then snowfall for the evening with 2 and up to 5 centimeters. For most areas, Whistler will be close to or hovering the freezing mark but if you're heading along the sea to sky, be prepared for winter driving conditions and accumulating snowfall. South coast, so for the afternoon, we're keeping a close eye. The intensity, the ingredients are there, especially above 200 meters where we could see the potential. The usual spots, SFU, Westwood Plateau, a heads up there as well. And then we're actually back into some sunshine and ice break just in between systems. And then it's mild enough into late next week that we'll be tracking some rain. Colleen? Okie dokie. Well, we've been prepared or we, we've been warned. We will be prepared. Thanks so much, Yvonne. An 18-year-old from California is the winner of this year's Rubik's Cube World Cup. It took less than six seconds for Max Park, that's him there, to take the prize. The competition was held online due to the pandemic. Participants taking part from the safety of their homes. Competitors went head-to-head in four categories, including the one-handed category. Are you kidding me? You guys ever able to do that? That is one thing I can never get. No. My mind doesn't work that way. No. Maybe one line I can get. <laughs> maybe. 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 One line you. over a year, maybe for me. Like, <laughs> it just takes so long. Six seconds. Yeah, and yeah. now you just have to try with one hand, too. <laughs> I didn't know there was such thing. Good yeah. to know. No okay. chance. Yeah. You'll learn something every day. <laughs> Barry, what do you got coming up? Well, uh, big football Sunday, of course. The Seahawks in uh, Buffalo and uh, that kind of porous defense of theirs finally caught up to them today. So we'll have uh, highlights of a rare Seahawk loss. And a hockey icon, the great Howie Meeker, who's uh, lived for many years on the island, passed away today at 97. So we'll take a look back at Howie's had some of the great slogans and kind of was a bit of a pioneer in the uh, color analyst area with his uh, telestrator and just his energy and and his spirits. We'll take a look back. 
Alex Trebek, host of the iconic quiz show Jeopardy for 37 years, has died. While he became a U.S. citizen in 1998, he never forgot his Ontario roots. Trebek died today at the age of 80, surrounded by family and friends, 20 months after he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. A look now at who was Alex Trebek. This is Jeopardy! Alex Trebek was synonymous with the quiz show that called itself America's favorite. Jeopardy! won him a loyal audience worldwide with and without his once trademark mustache. Alex Trebek! When Trebek first hit the Jeopardy! stage in 1984, he was already a successful on-air host. His career began on radio, close to home in Canada. Bienvenue à ce match, reach for the top. He moved to television, hosting a bilingual quiz show for students after a stint in news and special events. But the Ontario native with a degree in philosophy found a niche in game shows. He eventually set the Guinness record for the most game show episodes by the same host. Among his many honors, five Emmy Awards for hosting, and his native country's second highest civilian honor, the Order of Canada. Trebek lived most of his adult life in Los Angeles, where he and his second wife, Jean, raised two children. Between tapings in the Jeopardy! studio, a relaxed Trebek often talked with the audience. If you have no personality, then you can't be a contestant. You could be the host of the show, not a contestant. I'm a lot looser, I think, than most people think I am. Uh, I don't take too many things seriously. Trebek had some serious health scares, including brain surgery in 2018 after suffering a fall. I have some news to share with all of you. Then, in the middle of Jeopardy's 35th season, Trebek announced he had been diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer, saying he planned to beat the low odds for survival. I have to, because under the terms of my contract, I have to host Jeopardy for three more years. Trebek had already thought about his replacement. It's probably going to be a woman. Yeah. It'll be somebody younger, somebody bright, somebody personable. As the man with all the answers through a record-breaking career, Alex Trebek was, without question, one of TV's most enduring personalities. Mark Barger, NBC News. A couple of clips from Jeopardy! illustrate just how beloved Alex Trebek was. Any family members uh, back home uh, cheering you on? You know, here's a true story, man. Uh, I grew up, I learned English because of you. And so my grandfather, who, who raised me, I'm going to get tears right now. He, we used, I used to sit on his lap and watch you every day. Did you come up with the right one? No? What is we love you? That's very kind. <laughs> Thank you. Costio, 1995. You're left with a five. Oh. Jeopardy! announced that episodes Trebek taped will continue to air through Christmas Day, saying his last day in studio was October 29th, less than two weeks ago. The show has not named a replacement. It's hard, but you know, it's funny. I've been thinking about the, the two gentlemen we lost today, and it makes me proud to be a Canadian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, when uh, people are doing impressions of you, like for Howie Meeker, everyone does a Howie, that means you're doing something right. He was yeah. just a, a great man. Thanks, Colleen. Uh, yeah, it has been a tough day with the death of two Canadian icons, Alex Trebek and Howie Meeker. Meeker passed away today at age 97. Howie's best known for bringing the Telestrator to life during hockey broadcasts and ordering videotape operators back in the day to back it up, back it up. Even though he hasn't been on the air for over 20 years, anyone who saw him work will never forget him. Howie Meeker was truly one of a kind. Meeker is next as he will look at his second period highlights. 
He goes to Crom and he goes to Crom and from there Crom couldn't break a pane of glass. Holy dump of Jiminy Crickets. Ah, uh, Jiminy Crickets, Howie's signature call. He was also a great player in the 40s and 50s, a four-time cup champ, a rookie of the year, hockey hall of famer. He was actually a member of parliament in Ontario from 51 to 53. He called Parksville home as a true Canadian icon. Howie Meeker passing away at age 97 and our condolences to the Meeker family. Well, Pete Carroll's had nothing but success as a head coach of the Seahawks in his 11 seasons there, and he'll be around a while longer. Today, the Seahawks announced a new five-year extension for the 69-year-old, believed to be somewhere in the $12 million per season range, which would be at the top of the heap for NFL head coaches. Carroll looking for his 107th win as Seahawks boss today in Buffalo. But Buffalo starter Josh Allen really shredded that 32nd-ranked Seahawk defense. Opening possession, Allen zips it to Isaiah McKenzie, 25-yard touchdown, 7-0, just like that. And they got another TD to go up 14. Seahawks, though, knocking on the door. But on fourth and goal, Russell Wilson picked off in the end zone by Jordan Poyer. A miserable start for Seattle. It remains 14-0. Allen had a fantastic day. 415 yards passing, three touchdowns, including this dart to Gabriel Davis. 24-10 Buffalo at halftime. Seahawks do cut into the lead in the third. Rookie D.J. Davis with the uh, short touchdown run. It's now 24-17 Buffalo, but Buffalo built the lead back up to 14 in the fourth, and then Wilson will throw his second pick of the game. Tredavious White with the interception, then brings it back 28 yards inside the Seahawks' five. That led to a three-yard Josh Allen touchdown run, so it was 41-20 to Bills. Seahawks answered just 48 seconds later. Wilson airing it out to David Moore, who is wide open in the end zone, a 55-yard touchdown, perhaps a glimmer of hope for Seattle, down 41-27, but the Buffalo defense was just all over Russell Wilson. They hit him 16 times today, including this sack and fumble. Recovered by the Bills. Four big Seahawks turnovers. Russell needed the big ice bath today because he was hit hard and often. Seahawks did get a late touchdown. Wilson with the quick hitter to DK Metcalf. 29th touchdown pass of the season for Russ at the halfway mark. But Seattle falls 44-34. They drop to 6-2. They get the Rams next week. Cardinals and Dolphins from Phoenix. Cards with the chance to move into first in the NFC West with a win. Two great young quarterbacks going head-to-head. Kyler Murray of the Cardinals. Perfect deep ball delivery. 56 yards to Christian Kirk for the touchdown. Ties the game at 14. But Dolphin rookie Tua Tagovailoa with the nine-yarder to Preston Williams here for the touchdown. 24-17 Miami at the half. And we'll refer to him as Tua for the rest of the way because that last name is a tough one. Third quarter tied at 24. Kyler Murray on the quarterback option and he's always the best option. What an athlete making it look easy. A 12-yard TD run, 31-24 Arizona, but Tua and the Dolphins just kept coming back. Great touch pass here to Max Hollins who does get both feet down in the end zone. Second TD pass for Tua tied at 31. Dolphins took the lead on a field goal. Cards with a chance to tie it. But Zane Gonzalez is short from 49 yards out. Dolphins do the Hawks a big favor, beating the Cards 34-31. Arizona drops to 5-3, a game behind Seattle in the NFC West. Chase Claypool and the Steelers trying to stay perfect at Dallas. Pittsburgh more than 10-point uh, favorites in this one, but Dallas jumps out quickly. Garrett Gilbert 
making his first NFL start at only throwing six passes ever in the NFL. Throws his first touchdown pass to C.D. Lamb. 13-0, Cowboys jumped out. Steelers struggling offensively, and then this happens. Ben Roethlisberger gets crunched, takes a big hit to the knee, stayed in the game, but he was limping. However, in the fourth, down 12, Roethlisberger on one good leg to Juju Smith-Schuster for the touchdown. 19-15, the Steelers trail. Chase Claypool didn't get a touchdown today, but a strong game. A lot of key receptions, eight catches for 69 yards for the pride of uh, Abbotsford. This one led to a Steeler field goal. They're still down one, but late, yeah, you knew they'd come back. Roethlisberger to Eric Ebron, who will leap the defender to get in for the touchdown, and the Steelers escape 24-19 over the dreadful Cowboys. Pittsburgh, a perfect 8-0. Super Bowl champs, the Chiefs hosting Carolina. Patrick Mahomes had to rally the troops in this one. They were down eight at one time, but Mahomes connects 28 yards with Tyreek Hill to make it 26-17 KC. And then later in the fourth, same combination, Mahomes zips it to Hill. Fourth touchdown pass of the game for Mahomes as the Chiefs hold off the Panthers 33-31. Kansas City now 8-1. and Today is decision day in the MLS, final day of the regular season. Unfortunately for the Caps, the playoff future, that was decided Wednesday when San Jose won and eliminated Vancouver from the postseason. So today's final just for pride. Mark DeSanto's team has given it a full effort every night. Give them credit for that. And they certainly wanted it more today against the LA Galaxy. Lucas Cavallini off the great cross from Christian Gutierrez. Nice header and nice uh, quality finish from Cavallini. 1-0 Whitecaps. He got stronger as this year went on. Late in the half, Ali Adnan with the service. Takes a skip off the turf. Deflects in off Freddie Montero's chest. 2-0 Vancouver at half. And then very late, it's Montero one more time, showing some fantastic finish here. Caps take it 3-0, at least something positive to end the season. Caps finish the year, nine wins, 14 losses, no draws, but again, out of the playoffs. Montreal Impact did have a chance to get into the playoffs in the East. They just needed a draw against D.C. United. They were down 2-1 in the uh, second half, but equalize in the sixth, or 74th. Victor Wanyama will make it 2-2, and then in the 88th, the Impact sealed the deal. Romel Kyoto finishes off the pretty play. Impact win 3-2. They're in the playoffs. They'll meet New England in the play in round uh, a week from Friday. Toronto FC also qualified. They finished second in the East. They get a first round by their opponent to be determined. And now we've got some golf from Houston. Final round. It's uh, Canadian Mackenzie Hughes making a big move. Made some big money because of it. Nice approach shot here at 17. Hughes would fire a 7 under 63, setting the course record, which was equaled by two other players uh, later in the day. But he jumped up 21 spots and made 212,000. Pretty good week. Dustin Johnson off the last six weeks had COVID. It's been isolating, but hey, he can still play a 61-footer for birdie on 11. Finishes tied for second. It was Carlos Ortiz who pulled away. Finishes with birdie on 18. His first ever PGA Tour win. Just the third player ever from Mexico to get a win. An emotional moment for Ortiz. And of course, the Masters begins Thursday. Four Canadians in the field, including Abbotsford's boys, uh, Hadwin and Taylor. And Felix Auger-Aliassime did win a doubles competition today in Paris. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. That's it for sports. All right. Okay, we would like to introduce you now to a defending champion. At the age of nine, he is one of Canada's top young spellers. And later this month, he'll defend his title. Jordan Armstrong reports. Last year, I won this, and I got $500. And for this one, I won the Nationals, and I got this trophy and a $950 prize. He's pint-sized, but nine-year-old Parnav Kundi is a spelling heavyweight. How much studying goes into all this? Oh, definitely a lot. I study by myself, and my mom and dad helped me, like, they, like, quizzed me. The Vancouver kid defeated about two dozen others in his age category to advance from this year's regional competition to the Nationals. Last year, he won the Nationals by correctly spelling persuade. I really can't wait, although it would have been funner if I was in Toronto and my grandpa was there. Yes, because of the pandemic, this year's Nationals will be staged virtually. His parents are proud, but not surprised by Parnav's success. He's a truly gifted child. His teachers recognized his potential very early. I, when I went to pick him up one day, the teacher called me and said, you, uh, you know what, uh, your son has read this word and which a grade six could read it. Yeah. And he was in kindergarten at that time. The pressure doesn't get to Parnav. He says the competitions are fun. Mom, on the other hand. <laughs> it's stressful to watch, you know, your kid going through all three of this. But getting trophies definitely, you know, it makes everyone happy. It feels like you're on top of a rainbow, basically. So, will this super speller add another trophy to his collection? We'll find out November 29th. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Well, we got to follow up on that one. I before E, except after C. It's all you need to know. <laughs> the only rule I know. I fail at all the rest of it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Have a great night.